for the contemplation or perception of, of mortality, there are three different practices which we can do. The first one is like the channel ground contemplations, which is especially kind of foreign for Western people, for people who've grown up in the West, which is like contemplating a corpse and how it rots and, you know, it is eaten up by maggots and other animals and how it then kind of, in the end, the only bones are left and they are all rotting back into the ground and nothing is left. So I will spare you to do this. I don't have a... Usually one has a poster or some photos, you know, to look at. Or some people go to the, you know, go to the hospital and see... Uh, that, I don't know how that's called. You know, the corpses... Um, an autopsy. An autopsy, exactly, yeah. And I have seen that in, in Thailand, but I think here in the West it's going to be more, maybe dif- more difficult if you're not a student of medicine. And then uh, the next one is is to just, you know bring up the thought of death is inevitable and then, you know, go through different contemplations and, uh, for example, you know, death is inevitable and arrival of death is uncertain and when we die we have to relinquish everything to go through those, you know, thoughts and then somebody would guide us and would just bring up those thoughts, for example... The first one, death is inevitable. Thinking about how do we know this and thinking about, you know, death comes along at the moment of birth. And every moment I'm moving ever closer to my death. To just think about those thoughts, you know, let them arise in the mind and then feel the resistance, you know, and, and the, in the body and in the mind and just let it be there. And then the next one, arrival of death is uncertain, time of death is unpredictable, place of my death is unpredictable, and cause of my death is unpredictable. And just, you know, thinking about that and allowing, you know, one's body and mind to just kind of deal with that information and just staying grounded, staying, you know, staying in the body. Just dropping in those thoughts, you know, and letting them ripple out like if you drop a stone into a lake, you know. It just ripples out and then it goes quiet again. And then when we die, we have to relinquish everything. All material possessions and status, all who are near and dear, and my body and my personality. Just, you know, thinking those thoughts and then at the end, you know, kind of gathering it all up and summarizing it with that sentence. Death is inevitable. And just really starting to take in the fact that we are not exempt from that fate. You know, we are just like like everybody else. We are born and we die. And, you know, death is not the opposite of life. Death is the opposite of birth. And life consists of both birth and death and that brings us back again you know to paying attention to endings which we usually don't like we try to close it over and go to the next beginning and that's just then that's the most kind of intense 
ending, you know, we can imagine, you know, our own life and the life of our loved ones. But it's, it's a fact, you know, and uh, it's good to consider it because it might change prior, our priorities in a, in a wholesome way. So it's a, it's a really good thing. And uh, you know, and because of that, it brings up a certain energy and a clarity in the mind. And and therefore, you know, actually, we can live our lives much more fully if we allow ourselves to include death as well. And. Uh, so I was saying, you know, there's those different ways how we can uh, consider it, looking at, at uh, the channel ground contemplations, looking at death is inevitable, and, and then the most simple one is to just, with the in-breath, you know, thinking, this, is my la- this could be my last breath, <coughs> and with the out-breath relaxing. And that's the practice, you know, I would like to guide us in that one. So, you know, just finding a posture which you can sustain for some time. And just, you know, bringing up that thought that this could be my last breath. I could, theoretically, I could die right now, which is true. And if it's not my last breath, it's certainly one breath closer to death. And if you find it helpful, you could also flash the image of a skeleton. You know, yesterday when we were working with the bones, with the earth element, just the whiteness and the hardness of the skeleton and you might, you, know, you might see, if you think the word skeleton, it might just come up, you know, just like a flash, and just do that. Because that can help us, you know, to set the mind into the mood of what is death. So with the in-breath, this could be my last breath. And with the out-breath, letting go, relaxing, making peace with that truth. And then, you know, wisely balancing, you know, if you feel a little bit tired and can't really connect with that, then just make an emphasis on the in-breath. If you feel a little bit spooked or scared or shocked or stressed, then put emphasis on the out-breath, on relaxing. And the basic message is, I am not exempt from that faith. (coughs) (coughs) Every breath brings me closer to my death.
And, you know, you can picture it like if you stand, you know, somewhere on a mountain ridge or so, and the wind is really blowing very hard. That's the same. Taking in that information, you just stand there. You don't let it blow you around internally. And, you know, after some time, the wind is going to settle down. If you allow yourself, you know, to be permeated by that truth, this could be my last breath with the in-breath and then relaxing into that truth with the out-breath. And Venerable Anaria calls this, you know, training in the art of dying. 
the most radical, you know, work on seeing impermanence. I'm not exempt from that fate. <coughs> and then you're also considering, you know, what unwholesome qualities would I like to, to change within my own way of being in the world, what would I like to have done before I die? It can really help us, you know, to find that which is a true priority in our lives. So this could be my last breath and then relaxing into spaciousness. Paying attention to endings. losing fear of endings but just kind of focusing on the peacefulness of it nothing is going to be lost ultimately elements go back to the elements stream of consciousness goes on where it goes next Nothing is lost. It is not a real ending ultimately, but conventionally, yes. And we have a very, you know, precious human life and good circumstances, so not to waste those. Because we don't know what's going to come next. It just really brings things into perspective, like a bird's eye view of our situation.
And in terms of the seven factors of awakening, you know, the mindfulness, curiosity, and energy to kind of, you know, set up the meditation and, you know, calm the body and the, and the mind. The second part, contentment, tranquility, collectedness of mind, and then ubeka, equanimity, equipoise. Being able to hold steady and allow this information, you know, to kind of permeate our being. in removing the vipalasa, the hallucinations of perception, inversions of perception. And inversions of mind and inversions of view. Turning things around, turning it in the right, around to the right way, how it is. And then, you know, at one point when we feel ready, then we can just let go of this uh, sentence. It's it's like a mantra, really. Let go of it, drop it, and just paying attention, instead of paying attention to the sentence, since those two sentences, we pay attention to the spaciousness with the out-breath. The spaciousness, you know, which fills not only the whole room, but which goes on, you know, beyond the walls of this house, beyond the valley here, out and out, expanding limitless.
the emptiness, you know, from where we come from and where we go back to. It's, uh, you know, causes and conditions coming together to form this being. And then the, when the time has come, that is bound again. And ultimately nothing is lost. So the object, you know, for the mind is the spaciousness, space. And you know, if we need some help to connect with space, we can start with listening to the silence and then once the mind is more open, just dropping the silence and appreciate the space. which is just another quality of emptiness, such as, you know, silence and space and knowing. So it's getting even more subtle to recognize silence, the space which is permeated by the silence, and that which knows space, which is awareness or knowing. Dropping the space, dropping the silence and just Subject, being aware of subject. And appreciating the clarity. It's like mirror-like awareness, you know, whatever is happening is just reflected back, like the sound of the car out there.
So this, you know, meditation on death actually supports us to recognize and let go into the deathless. This is a synonym for Nibbana, the deathless. And Amaravati, where I lived for 17 years, means the realm of the deathless. And also familiarizing ourselves with that uh, vast openness. We are gradually you now drawing closer to the deathless. Because through familiarization we are you know more, we become more and more capable to stay open and not shut down. shut down into habitual thinking and story making. There's more and more capacity to be in that groundlessness and openness, which is usually you know, for an untrained mind not easy to appreciate because it's seen as lacking things because an untrained mind always wants to hold on to the thing, next thing, the next thing. And it's always the next thing which is promising. The grass is always greener somewhere else. That's samsara, the wheel of becoming. It's a temporary stepping out of that wheel. And then through that experience we gain more and more kind of faith and trust, you know, that this actually can be done. It's in reach. I bet only temporarily at the moment, but if we keep on putting in the right causes and conditions, will change when the time is right. And we can't do more than this. The rest is not in our control. As I mentioned, you know, like the hen sitting on her eggs, as long as she sits there and takes, you know, good care of really covering everything well and not get going away for too long, the chicks will hatch, she doesn't need to do anything. Only do her part. Same for us. The rest will be taken care of by nature or by Dhamma. And we are part of that.
And my first teacher, Ajahn Buddhadasa, he, you know, spoke about letting go. He was saying, you know, throwing it all back to nature. Nature was the right for, you know, owner of all of this. And we are just kind of part of that. Giving it all back. You know, and trusting that there's a much vaster intelligence operating and letting go into that. You know, which takes care of flowers blossoming and sun rising and setting, so many mysterious things happening. We don't need to try to control this, it's impossible. We just make a huge mess. We already have made one. And then appreciating the, you know, what's called non-worldly joy of the open mind. Or at least the contentment of the temporary liberated mind. Ajahn Buddhadasa called that, you know, something better than usual, to appreciate that. And independent from sense experience. So, you know, by a kind of allowing the mind to experience that it will support the mind to let go of attachment to sense pleasures. <laughs> 